This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. Today's episode is an interview that I did with a guy named Josh Scanlon, who is a financial planner and also an old hardcore guy like me. If you've paid attention to my videos, you know that I care a lot about money, but not in the way that people sometimes think. You know, I'm not greedy. I don't believe that money buys happiness. I don't even think it's especially important necessarily as far as I certainly don't think that your life should revolve around the pursuit of money. But I do, as somebody who grew up poor, I do know that life sucks and you do not have enough money. And so that's really why I'm passionate about it. And that is what we talk about on this episode. Basically, the essentials of personal finance, how you should think about budgeting, some ways that you should and shouldn't think about investing. Disclaimer, this is not investment advice, so you can't sue us. But if you're interested in personal finance, definitely check this one out. The subject is not as dry as you might think. It's actually pretty fun once you kind of get into it, at least I think so. Excited about this one. If you're into this topic, make sure you check him out on YouTube. It is called Heritage Wealth Planning. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Before we get into the show really quickly, there's three things that you can do to support the show if you like it. Number one, share it on social media. The platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stuff don't really do much to help spread the word and help people discover the show. So when you guys share it, it really helps a lot. When you do, I would love it if you tag me, tag the guest, and tag Deanna. Number two, if you really like us, you can buy some merch. I just designed some stuff that I think is pretty cool. There's a link to that stuff in the show notes. And lastly, if you really, really like us, then you can support on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. Patrons get every show a week early. There's a members-only private Discord that I'm in all the time. There's a chance to have me review your band or your podcast or your graphic design or photography portfolio or any other thing that you might want to send my way and get my feedback on. So if that sounds cool, check that out at the link in the show notes. And let's get into the show. First and foremost... Finn McKinty, is that old school Irish name or what the hell kind of name is Finn McKinty first and foremost? I'm told it's Scottish, but I, I don't know. My mother is American and my father's from Norway. So I don't know how I ended up with <laughs> such a weird name, but here we are. Right on. And uh, and just tell us a little bit about Finn. You know, just start with, uh, you know, yeah, you said you were born in Bellingham, but just go from there. We'll get into some of this other stuff later on, but just tell us yeah. a little bit about Finn. Yeah. So I was born in, uh, in Bellingham, Washington, which is a little college town in between Seattle and Canada. 
uh, grew up in the Seattle area my whole life. Uh, after that, I moved, or well, the whole first 18 years of my life. Moved around quite a bit after that. I ended up living in Ohio, in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus for a total of about 12 years through oh. just kind of, you know, the typical punk, hardcore kid type of thing where you end up kind of wandering around and stumbling and making a lot of, you know, you're, you go into it certain you've got it all figured out yeah. and then come out the other side, uh, realizing you didn't know anything about anything. Right. Uh, but you know, that's, but that's all good. It's part of the journey. Yep. So I did that. I ended up going back to college when I was 25, got a degree in management and marketing at the university of Cincinnati, which, uh, you know, is just a, you know, middle of the road Midwest state school, but I feel like I got a fantastic education yeah. out of it. Ended up there, you know, when I was a kid, I was really in love with music and skateboarding and graffiti and all that sort of thing. And then what I discovered uh, when I was in school is that I actually fell in love with business. Uh, I, I just didn't, re you know, my family, my mom never really had much of a career. My dad was in the Navy and then a corrections officer and respect for that. But, you know, right. neither of them knew a lot about business necessarily. You know, they were not entrepreneurial types. My, I learned a lot from my dad. You know, you spend 20 years babysitting murderers in a cage and you learn a thing or two and, and I'm very grateful for that. But point being, uh, I didn't under, I didn't know what business was or why it was such an exciting, cool, creative challenge. You know, I look at business the same way as a painter looks at an empty canvas. I just like rub my hands together like, Ooh, cool. This is going to be fun. Let's see what we can do with this. Yeah. Um, and that's really what I learned at school. And so after that, uh, I spent my I've spent my career in kind of various creative fields. Uh, I did uh, graphic design for a while for Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, and then moved into a marketing role there. So I got to see kind of how a I don't know if they're a Fortune 500 company, but probably close to it. If not, this uh, in Cincinnati, or did you come that, back? That's to in Columbus. Okay, gotcha. Columbus. Yeah, so I got to see how at least a giant multinational re retailer does things. Went over to China to do a bunch of stuff for them which is cool. China and wow. Korea, Indonesia, Japan. But you went uh, all these places on behalf of the company. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool, man. Yeah. Yep. Well, Cause we had factories over there. So that's what I did is some kind of quality assurance kind of stuff for them. So again, got, to, I mean, that's the kind of like operational stuff. The, the scale of what a, a, a global retailer like that does. I think there's no other way to learn that other than to be part of that machine. And yeah. to be clear, I was a very small cog in that wheel. I wasn't calling the shots, but just to even see how that machine runs is super cool. Uh, before that, I worked at a product design firm called Kaleidoscope in Cincinnati. We uh, did industrial design and engineering. The two things I worked on there for the most part, uh, it was mostly Procter & Gamble stuff. So I worked on Febreze and Swiffer quite a bit. This was a while ago, but even even still, they don't, you know, they don't redesign those products very often. So most of the Swiffer stuff that's on the shelf now, I had a hand in. Yeah. Again, you know, you, at, at the t I don't know how big those brands are now, but they were, you know, just over the billion dollar mark at that yeah. time. And I'm sure there's several times that now. Tide alone made like 10 or $12 billion then. And I'm sure it's, you know, probably twice that now. And again, just to see scale was such a cool opportunity. Again, I'm just a tiny, tiny cog in the machine. But you think about, for example, if you add one millimeter of plastic to the, the cap on the Tide bottle and they make, I don't know, probably a billion bottles of that a year. Think about what that means, yeah. you know, or and, and how many Tide plants are there. Anything you do gets multiplied by every plant across the world and yeah. 
application about shipping and all that other kind of stuff. And then uh, after that, I worked for a technology company called Creative Live in Seattle. It's an online education platform for creators and entrepreneurs, mostly focused on photographers. So that was really cool. Got to learn how a, a venture-backed startup runs. We had uh, some really top-notch investors like Greylock and Social Capital and Google Ventures. Got to be part of that and help this. I've known the CEO and founder for like 20 years. Now, so. were you still doing that in Columbus or did you move? That's in Seattle. Of? I moved back to Seattle. So did, uh, did you move to back to Seattle because of the gig or did you say, I got to get back to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I just said, I got to get out of Ohio. Much respect to Ohio, but it's it's not for me. I think yeah. if you're born here, uh, I, I just run on a, in, on a different speed. Um, yeah. So that was cool. And then after that, uh, I am now in my current role which is on the director of operations for a company called URM Academy, which is an online education platform for music producers, small company. There's like basically five of us that, you know, there's, there's some partners and then a couple contractors and stuff that kind of run the thing. Uh, and then I also do the YouTube thing, but you know, I, 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 most people probably know me for YouTube, but to me, that's just like a fun thing I do at the end of the day. The thing that I'm most excited about is, is operating. I mean, I'm, I'm an operator, a purebred operator at the end of the day. So what, so URM is a, go over that again. What exactly is it? It's an online education platform for rock and metal producers. So if you want to learn how to record and mix music, we teach you how to do that. So really? the way it works is that every month you get the actual raw multi-track session for a retail album. This month we have Tom Lord Algae mixing Angels and Airwaves, which is Tom DeLong from Blink-182's other band. Uh, last month... We had a guy named Will Putney mixing Knocked Loose. Before that, we some of the other bands we've had on that people might know would be like Bring Me the Horizon, Fall Out Boy, Day to Remember, you know, that kind of thing. So you get the actual files, and then at the end of the month, the producer mixed it, and the album comes on and does a live stream where they show how they did it on the album so you can kind of compare your work to theirs. We have a few different tiers, but the, the main one is 20 bucks a month, and we've got, uh, you know, somewhere between... We, we don't publicly disclose it, but somewhere between one and 10,000... Uh, paying members across the across the Whoa. world. Oh no! So if you're in a if, if you're in a band, you could sign on URM uh, for well, let's say twenty bucks a month, whatever it is. Yeah. So you know you got different tiers, and you could watch these guys, these professionals, do what they're doing to get the music you know produced to sound yep. good. Exactly. So if you want to know how periphery or whatever does it, you don't have to guess. You can just watch, and Nolly will show you exactly how. <laughs> So they, they don't use dats or anything anymore, I guess, or what? Or, you know, you don't. Uh, no, they don't. But uh, you know, sometimes we'll. I mean, we had uh, Daniel Bergstrand come on and mix a Mashuga song from 1995, and he had to pull that off uh, eight ats. So you know, they're still floating out there. That's crazy. So, so if you're in a band, I'm just saying you're in freaking Toledo, Ohio. You're saying, you know, we got, you know, we got a local. We, we're good. I don't care what kind of metal rock I get, but I'm just sure. saying we're, you know, we we like what we're doing, but we just we don't know what to do next. I mean, hell, they could sign up to your thing. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And before we came along, there was nothing. <laughs> I, I sort of pioneered this a little bit at creative live, but, um, before this, there was just no way for you to get your hands on these sessions unless you like knew somebody that worked at the studio or exactly. something like that. Exactly. And I mean, you know, people would have paid a thousand dollars for the, it's funny how people get accustomed to this stuff. You know, 10 years ago, someone paid it, someone would pay hundreds of dollars to get their hands on the files for this one song. And now it's 20 bucks a month. They're like, eh. And they're like, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, so, yeah I don't know. Or, or I could spend $20 on four cups of coffee. What this, 
Or to, never mind, give me a star of all these people claiming they're poor and then they're getting tattoos all over the place. Like, well, tattoos right. ain't cheap, man. So let's right. uh, let's get our priorities here. So if, if you, let me ask you a question. So back in the day, you'd have to go to a studio to record, you know what I'm saying? Then the, the, the engineer or whatever would be the guy in charge. Can yep. you literally do it in your in, in a, your home-based studio now with just using Apple products or what? I don't care about, you know what I'm saying? Yep. You, can, you can do all that. Absolutely. I mean, as one example of that, uh, some people, if you're into this kind of music, you would know the band A Day to Remember. Yeah. Uh, big band. They've got platinum albums. Their album, Common Courtesy, from 2013, was recorded in Jeremy and Andrew, Jeremy the singer. Jeremy and Andrew Wade lived in the same house. They recorded it in their house. I went over there. Andrew was mixing it in their spare bedroom, which is untreated, no acoustic panels or anything like that, on some Windows computer you could probably get for... 1200 bucks like and and that thing was a billboard top 10 album there's absolutely no reason you can't do all that there's there are some certain things that you would need to go to a studio for like recording drums and stuff like that but you know really yes you can do a pro quality album in a home studio no question people do it all the time there's very few very few situations in which you need to go to a studio. There might be some times when you want to for various right. reasons, but right. you don't need to. Now, do most bands have drummers or are they all just use them? And I watched the video you did on the 808s. I'm not familiar with all yeah. that, but do most bands still have drummers? Finn, are they? Bands, know. yes. Um, but even then, there's ways of programming drums, yeah. which are more and more common because, you know, recording drums is a pain in the butt to make a long story short. So, uh, a lot of people choose to program the drums on the albums instead, and then you know they'll play them live. But okay, okay. a lot of program drums on albums, or there's various different hybrid approaches. But I won't bore your audience with uh, all the technical details on that. I noticed on one of your videos you were you know doing the double bass, and I just like yeah. I, you hear some of these double basses, you're like, how is that humanly possible? And then you it's said not. it's literally not. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> that, that made me feel good. I was like, there's no way this could be some guy with a double bass playing that fast. It's no. Um, so with URM, I mean, what kind of marketing, how you get, I mean, punk rock NBA is obviously can't hurt, but obviously that's not your main gig. How do how you get out there in front of, in front of people who are, you know, budding musicians and, and entrepreneurial and they say, look, we're, we're going to do this on our own. How, how you, how you take it to the masses so they can hear about you? I mean, this well, is pretty awesome. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of different options. You know, the number of marketing channels available to a small company or an entrepreneur now is amazing. And it's, it's a thing that I think is missed in the conversation now. You know, everyone hates big tech for a lot of, you know, justifiable reasons, right. a lot of valid reasons. But the part that's missed in that conversation, the reason we exist is because we can use Facebook and Instagram ads yeah. to reach people all over the world very, very, very cost-effectively. So we can get a customer for, let's call it 20 bucks, yeah. and that customer becomes, very, becomes profitable in a month or two, you know, depending on how the lifetime value works out, blah, blah, blah. But we couldn't do that you know, 15 years ago when you had to do print ads and direct mail and all this stuff to spin up a direct mail campaign is tens of thousands of dollars. And what if you get it wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there goes your operating capital. You're out of business. The lights are out. Literally, you're out of business because you you did not get the ad right, which is exactly exactly. And now I can spin up a Facebook campaign and, like, for twenty bucks, I'll get an idea of like, is this potentially going to work? Yeah. 
And I, so this has enabled like this whole generation of direct consumer businesses like that are now getting billion dollar exits like Dollar Shave Club and Warby Parker and Away and all these like direct consumer businesses would not exist without big tech, without Facebook uh, and Google and Amazon in particular, because uh, you know Amazon Web Services enables you to start a company with a credit card and 15 bucks. You know, so you can have a company off the ground in a weekend with an AWS account, a credit card, you know, with, with a credit card and then AWS, Facebook and Instagram marketing. And you got a business in 24 hours. It's uh, it's, it's, an, it's insane. And look, I, you know, I, I, I have a deep love hate relationship with Google, but I love them more than I hate them. So because I'm sitting there thinking I'm getting paid on YouTube, I, you know, and, and I'm getting paid from, our, you know, using Google spreadsheets. I mean, the, all that stuff is free. I get, they give the information. Look, I get all that, but I'm just sitting there thinking, you think back, like you said, just 10 years ago. I mean, you know, I, we did, would not did, did somebody come to your house and put a gun to your head and force you to do any, to use it? Exactly. Sure did. Well, what they're doing, you know, they, and, and the reason I just, it's, and this is by why I love what you're doing because so many people are, are, are just sitting there negative on the world. I'm like, you have so much opportunity to be who you wanted always to be. And there's nothing literally holding you back other than, I don't know what it is. You don't want to take a risk, but how much risk is it truly? And I should preface all that by saying this assumes when I say all those things, it assumes you're an able-bodied person in a developed country. Yes. It, it, it's if you are one of these people that's unfortunate enough to get born in a literal garbage dump in the Philippines or something, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is, you know, I, I would never say that to that person. But if you're a kid with a smartphone in America, you know, that's able-bodied, like, I don't know what more you could possibly want from the world than that. Well, the irony of it all is a lot, about 25 years ago, I had a small little label, small little record label. And I had guys in Philippines and Brazil and Russia, you know, just as a distro, you know what I'm saying? Just trading yeah. CDs, trading data, the whole thing. And, and that was the mid nineties, you know what I'm saying? And even back then there is still, I completely agree with what you're saying. If you're literally in India and there's 25 kids in your home, I, man, I get all that. But for us here in a modern America, it is, I, I just, uh, as fundamentally, it's so much different and so much more uh, just oh, liberating than it used to be. You know what I'm, yeah. I mean? I started doing zines in like 93, maybe. Yeah, I heard, right? It's yeah, and, and I would have to sell, the, I, I actually, looking back on it, I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> you know, I would, I would have to somehow like market these on, I didn't, I didn't have a marketing budget. I didn't know what marketing was. And yet somehow I was able to sell thousands of these things through the mail to people all over the world. And so I, you know, I'm 16 years old going to the post office, mailing stuff yes, to, exactly. you know, Iceland and Singapore. And they're probably wondering what the <laughs> heck is this guy doing? Um, but it's like, man, if, if, if we were able to do something at that scale in 1994, you put a, 100x on that with all the tools you have now it's like there's nothing stopping you so but here's a question all right so we're not gonna get too deep into our both backgrounds but similar backgrounds so how did we get the entrepreneurial bug by watching our parents and say that's not what we want to do or are you the firstborn or or what you know i'm an only child okay so yeah. so did we get the i'm the firstborn did we get the entrepreneurial bug from being the firstborn, i.e. only child, or did we get the entrepreneurial bug? Like, what, 
what caused Finn and Josh to have this, I, I just, I got to get out there and, and share this. You see what I'm saying? Where other people don't mm-hmm. have that. Does that make sense what I'm asking you? I think it is something that's born, not made. Uh, yes. And that's, and that's not a judgment. You yeah, know, I, 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 you know, we're, we're all just different. I mean, my wife is not like this and yeah. I'm glad because <laughs> that'd be a little too much. So I don't know. I think, I think it's just a personality trait you're born with. And I think it's important for people to know who they are and to recognize like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole is going to cause problems. There's lots of people who are born entrepreneurs that make terrible employees. And that's a very well-known thing. Uh, And you see those people sometimes frustrated and causing problems for themselves and the organization and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And then on the other hand, there's people who are trying to be entrepreneurs that, you know, you that that just are not that person. Uh, And one is not better or worse than the other. They're just different. And so to me, it goes back to like self-awareness and just understanding who you are. For me personally, I never, and I still don't necessarily think of myself as an entrepreneur or entrepreneurial person. Like I don't really, I mean, this is doing things the hard way. I don't really want to do things this way. (laughs) Like sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? I wish I was just one of these guys that shows up to my job at Microsoft, you know, flies under the radar, some boring job nobody cares about, like accounts payable or something, you know, collects 80 grand a year. You're not going to get rich off that, but it's a nice living and just, you know, a, a nine to fiver because that's playing much easier. Like, why am I playing things in hard mode? But again, I just realized this is who I am. I just, I, I'm not that person. And it would be foolish of me. To, to try to fit myself into that mold just because I, I that's what I want. You know, well, you don't when get, did you know that's who you were though? You see what I'm saying? Probably not until like five years ago, maybe. Yeah. And would have been cool if I figured that out earlier, but I didn't. Um, and I think a lot of, I think there's a lot of people from our scene that don't figure these things out until later in life. And uh, you know, that just is what it is. And part of what I would like to do with my channel is help people figure these things yes. out or, earlier and easier than I did and avoid some of the painful lessons that I had to learn. And I, uh, you, you got kids fan? Uh, no. Okay. So your I, wife I is, like, I would like to, but, uh, not yet. Okay. Understood. She's uh, like, she's, she's 25 though. So she's got some time. And she's working. Like my wife is the same thing. She's not, not, and I say risk taker cause it sounds so dramatic. Like I'm a risk. I'm not like that at all, but I, I think of myself as very risk averse actually, yeah, but, too. But, but the risk, here's exactly. the thing is that lots of times, the taking the conventional path is actually the riskier one because one thing I've realized there is no such thing as job security. So the idea that you go work at Microsoft and that means you can coast for 30 years, fiction. They lay people off all the time. You get some terrible boss or stuck in some bad part of the business that's going to like grind your career at a halt. And then you get laid off at 44 and you know, you're kind of flailing. Uh, so I, the reason why I do things the way I do things is actually because I am risk averse yeah. because I don't want anybody else to have control over my fate. I mean, ultimately like we're, we're all part of a system much bigger than us. I don't mean to make it sound like I have complete control over the world right. because none of us do, but I don't want to place my fate in somebody else's hands. That's why I do this because I am risk averse. Yeah, well, the uh, the idea of you know like that forty four year old guy just got laid off from Microsoft. Now he also has a big fat mortgage he can't afford. Yes, exactly. 
that, that doesn't scare the crap out of you. Nothing would, that's for sure. I um, mean, we live, we live in a, I mean, you can see my house here. We live in a, a two bedroom condo. Yeah. We could afford something twice this big easily, but we don't even though, you know, my wife has a great job. She works at Amazon. I'm doing well. We can afford something twice this big, but you know, that is exactly what I see. I, I go past some of these houses here that are 800 grand with, you know, three $50,000 cars in the driveway. And it's just like, man, I hope for your sake, yeah. you never uh, get laid off, never end up in that bad spot. Cause that is a tough nut to crack every month. Not to mention like, yeah. what is the, you know, opportunity cost of all that money parked in, at least in the case of the cars, depreciating assets. It just makes my soul hurt. Well, it's not even, actually, it's even worse than being laid off because it's a threat. It was sort of damn. Right, right, right. Yeah. There thinking, limits your options too. What if you hate your job? Yeah. You can't quit because you got a $3,800 mortgage. Man, I'm telling you, dude, that's, uh, the, the risk is actually hating your job, even though you're living this, what looks to be a fancy schmancy life, but you're miserable as all can be. That, that's actually my, uh, in my channel, I talk a lot about that. I say, you know, get out of your crappy old job. You know, some people like it. That's fine. But other people say they hate it. And I say, you know, but they're worried about retirement. They're worried. I say, look, if you don't have debt, you, you have, the world is your oyster. But once you have these big debts, you, you are literally a slave to pay off those debts. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing I could teach my younger self, and I wish, man, I just tell you, it's just, I wish I would have avoided debt like the plague. And that doesn't mean you can't use it you know, systematically and whatnot, like the A, like you were talking about. With the Don't credit. stumble into it blindly. And just buy a house because the guy said, well, you can afford this house. It's uh, it's just sad. Um, so, so let me ask you a question. So now you got the, the channel for, uh, for the, the, the music and then you got the kind of a, a relatively new channel where you're kind of helping people um, in terms of personal finance and stuff or just uh you know, kicking the pants kind of channel. Is it, what, what are you doing? Over yeah. There? I would just think of it as like, I, I think of it as like business and personal development, okay. you know, anything under that heading about like starting your own company or, you know, furthering your career if you work for someone else and all that kind of like personal finance stuff that nobody told a lot of us, you know, yeah. just any, any of those sort of things like, you know, that anything I would have liked to tell myself 15 or 20 years ago. Do you, um, you think a lot of these people are actually graduating with, and this seems like an odd question, but there's a method to my madness in some degree, but it's one thing to like, you got your master. I got masters. You got masters. And thankfully all my stuff. I, I don't, I only have an undergrad degree. I'm a okay. fake MBA. Okay. Gotcha. But do you think, I guess, how many people do you think are being sucked into the realm of they have to go to college because that's what they've been told for the last 40 years where, where they're putting on, their entrepreneurial hat on hold because they're like, this is what I have to do. And so now they're getting out of college with fifty dollars and $60,000 debt and they, they can never grasp their creativity because they have to pay off. Does that make sense what I'm asking, Finn? I mean, it does. And, and that's true. But on the other hand, I just have a hard time. It's like, dude, nobody put a gun to your head and made you take the damn loan. Yeah. Like the terms were right there. If you didn't read it, like I, I took on a lot of yeah. college debt. When I graduated, I had $90,000 of debt. Ooh. but it was deliberate yeah. and it was worth it because right now I make four times what I did when I graduated from college yeah, years right. ago. You knew what you're getting into. Yeah. And part of that is because I didn't go until I was 25. That's, see, oh, um, however, yes. it's like, I, I, it's, I just don't buy this like victim narrative yeah. of it's like, dude, right. nobody, <laughs> Nobody forced you to take on that loan. And it's not like it's a mystery. Right. Like, 
like how yeah exactly it's not like this is a secret that college like that student debt is a thing and that it can make your life more difficult like i I just don't buy the victim card that said there are a lot of people in this system who have bad incentives i think a lot of that goes back to the fact that these are federally backed because it it creates a moral hazard uh for pretty much everybody you know this why are college tuitions going up 10% 10% a year or whatever they are. Right, right. Because why wouldn't they? Right. They got the government to back them. Exactly. Why wouldn't they? If, if, the, if the kid defaults, so what? Who yeah. cares? And it, so, eight grand course, for a creative writing degree? Sure, why not? Uncle Sam will foot the bill exactly. if the kid defaults. So but, let's, and, and how do we get them to choose our school instead of the other one? We'll build some fancy new exactly. student rec center. <laughs> and put some rich guy's name on it so he can feel like he's giving back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's all it's it's all a racket, and I don't think that I don't think anybody necessarily has bad intentions. It's just that you know what's rule number one of economics: people respond to incentives. Yeah, I think we've created a system that incentivizes behavior that we don't want. But you went to see. I went, I went in the army because I was horrible at high school. You went to school at twenty five. I, w- I went in at twenty two. Which I, that four year for a young man, I really believe that four year time, the interlude between high school and college is huge for maturity. Um, what uh, What made you say, "Hey, all right, I'm I'm not like when you got a you know you were on the sport uh, not sports you were on the newspaper in high school as and well, and then you, you said, "What's that?" And the debate team, which I loved. Yeah, debate is one of the best things I ever did in my life. Why did you, I mean, it seemed to me you would have been a, an academic, would have been a nice flow through. But in hindsight, it's glad you didn't. I'm glad I didn't. But what, what, what made you pause before you went to college? Well, I did go for a quarter. Okay. Uh, and I just, I got like straight D's because yeah. I just yeah. wanted, I just would rather go to shows and hang out. I just didn't want to be there. Uh, and, and, I, I wish that my parents would have like put their foot up my butt and told yeah. me like, what are you doing? But they didn't. So whatever. Can't blame them. But at least I wisely said, well, staying here would be a huge waste of money. So what's the point of spending much money? Because this is all coming out of my pocket. This is my parents are not paying for this. You know, that's moral hazard part one right there is all these kids whose parents are paying for this stuff and just sort of forcing them through the system, regardless of whether they're actually getting value out of it or not, but whatever, uh, it's a whole other, we could do a whole podcast about incentives and how to align everybody's incentives because that's a, that's a thing that I'm very passionate. It's kind of an obscure topic, but I, but it's an important one. Uh, Incentives drive everything, man. Everything's crazy. They do. They do. And like, I, I use that for myself. We use that for the people who work for us. I mean, just understanding like, like if things aren't, if, if, if there's things that aren't turning out the way you want them to maybe take a step back and yeah. ask yourself, what are the incentives and where, yeah. and how can you change that? Because people do respond to incentives. It's, you know, funny how it works. Did you ever, um, no, read a book on business or a book on economics or anything where you, where you found that or just from experience, you know, the, uh, the low points of life, you say, you know something, you got an epiphany of some sort. How, how did you, uh, cause that's one of I could not agree more. Just, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't read, um, books very much anymore. Okay. Uh, just because I don't think there's very many things that are worth a book. There are some things that are, and I read a lot of those in college because yeah. 
one of the things I did is, well, I'm paying a lot to be here. I'm going to take full advantage of every resource that I possibly can. And I went to the library all the time. I would go every week and check out, you know, 10 books. And and I didn't read all of them, but I would try to read at least one or two or half of what, you know, whatever, just get, get what I could out of it. I would just pick up some random book about behavioral economics or something. And, you know, I would just basically go to like, you know, economics and business section and just pick up random books. And I read a ton of stuff there that completely changed my worldview. I did the same thing with journals, all these academic journals, because it's the only time in my life where I'm going to have access to all these obscure journals. So like, and I didn't understand all of it, but you know, I pick up a quantitative finance journal and read that. And, and I didn't understand all of it because it's really technical, but at least, at least I understood this is how these people think. Right, right. And this is the kind of work that these people do. And I would go talk to all my professors, like they have office hours. And so like one of my professors uh, worked for the Commodities Futures Exchange Commission in, uh, in Chicago. Right, right. And so he had like really deep knowledge about how financial markets worked. And he would talk about it in class a little bit and nobody cared at all. So he could tell that nobody cared. It's this lecture class with 200 people in it. They don't care about the intricacies. Uh, but I said, hey, could I come to your office hours and ask you about this? He's like, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that okay? And he was like, yeah, people usually just come to complain about their grades. If you actually <laughs> want to talk about class, that's great. So I would go there and just ask him, you know, like, well, I don't understand. Why does the SEC care about this instead right, of that? Right, right. Like, well, let me explain. Well, uh, well they probably okay. shouldn't, but here's why they do. Why? See, this is my thing. How is it that you and I and many others, but not I just – why do we have that sense? Uh, this is my thing. On it. Like, just going back, let's go back to punk rock and hardcore for a second. Yeah. The first time you heard a electric guitar, you're probably like, oh, let's, first time I heard Black Sabbath, I was like, yeah. holy crap, where has this been? And then my first introduction to, to punk is when I moved to the D.C. area from Maine, I heard Void. And it was like literally like the, this, what? but there's something in that brain yeah. that says, this is me, is it? Nature, nurture, I mean, I've always just been intrigued. Why do people like metal versus why do people like pop? Why do people like to dive in deep into quantitative economics versus most right. people just want to play fancy football? Why? It just, ah, oh, it baffles my mind. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on 
the corner of Gray Street. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, this is one of these days I would like to uh, learn more about this. I had a professor that studied this, uh, I guess, the academic field. Somebody who's, you can maybe correct me or someone who's listening could correct me, but my understanding is that the field, that field of study is called trait theory. Uh, and uh, it, it, it seems to be that those questions are, you know, uh, hotly debated within that field. And I'd like to know more. I have to think, that uh, I have to think that a large amount of it is physics. You know, it's like biology. Yeah. Uh, because we know that we know that in some combination of atoms, the human brain can work this way versus that way. So I have to think that some component of it is physics at the end of the day. But whatever, it just is what it is. Uh, yeah. And we don't we don't choose who we are. And you know, to our conversation earlier, you see a lot of people. I don't know. Like, I, there's a girl I I know who because of, of her parents being who they are, like really forced her to be a mechanical, to go to school for mechanical engineering. And she was failing out and, and knowing her, I'm just like, she's not stupid or anything yeah. like that. She's smart. It's just like, she is not a mechanical engineer. Like she does not want to sit there and grind through calculus and physics classes and stuff. And so she switched to fashion, to fashion design or fashion merchandising. And she crushed it. And now she works at a super cool company in New York like top of the food chain, like fashion house in New York. So it's just a question of like, you know, her nature in this yeah. context was a failure. Her nature in this other context was a home run. So I think it's about understanding who you are and putting yourself in a situation where your nature is an asset, not a liability. How do you find that? You see what I'm saying? Like, how do you, yeah. how does somebody, and the only reason I think this guy got four kids, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. And they're all different. They're all unique. They're all, I'm telling you, man. Well, you, and, you probably said, a lot of unexpected ways too, right? You're, yeah, you're, right. Like, you're like, oh, this one's turning out like that. Interesting. I didn't see that coming. That's, you know, the fun, and I always, like, I'm not telling you, I just, I, I just, it's always been intriguing to me. Like, why does one 
go that way and the other goes that way. And then the one that goes this way, who really should be going that way, a la this girl you're just talking about. And when she gets that way, all of a sudden it's like for her, the light goes off. She goes, I love this. This yeah. doesn't work anymore. This is what I want to do. And if I have to get paid, even more power to me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, well, I think the way you find it is to think about it, which most people don't do because we don't, we don't talk about <laughs> introspection very much. And that's where hardcore comes in for me. Yeah. So f- for one, a big part of the way that I learned that is from my parents. So my mom was an alcoholic and she went to AA and these other programs. And so from my earliest memories, she's in these programs, reading these books and stuff like trying to understand herself and what's, what's broken and what's working and how to adjust it. And then my dad being a corrections officer, you know, while he was in the Navy and then corrections officer. And so, you know, choice and consequence is the theme there. Uh, I remember, so he, he became a counselor later on in his career and a counselor in, in, in a prison is not like, Hey Josh, tell me about your feelings. It's more like, okay, Josh, I see you have a parole hearing coming up in eight months. If you want to have your best chance, you need to take this anger management course. You need to go to this job training uh, program and make sure you don't get any more infractions for this because I see you got a couple of those on your jacket and you're not going to like that. And then they can either say, F you, man, I, you're not the boss of me. I can do what I want. In which case, my dad would go, okay. Like, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to like it. I'm just telling you this is the way it is. And so, you know, hearing those kind of conversations, you know, again, from when I was a child, I think just sort of instilled that idea in me of like, it's up to you. You do whatever you want. You just got to live with the consequences for yeah. better or for worse. Um, and then uh, hardcore for me played a big role when I found Youth of Today and yeah. then later uh, Raised Band Shelter. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not like a Hare Krishna or anything yeah, like right, that, right. but the stuff he talked about uh, in the Shelter lyrics, it's like very deep introspective stuff that I still really uh, haven't heard any other band uh, talk about. Man. Ray Kappa, just I listened to an interview he just did a couple months ago, and I, you know, I don't, I'm not a Christian, I don't, and you know, I love yeah. Youth Today growing up. I, I was never into Shelter, but um, and that whole Krishna thing with like Next Step Up and stuff is all just kind of weird to me. It's like there's very- there's a lot of weird stuff there, but also a lot of, you know, those these are people who are looking for truth for, for meaning, and, and I'm yeah. listening to Ray Kappa, and I'm like. This guy, I just, I was, I don't know. I just, I was incredible. I mean, here he is. He's got five kids now and he's my, you know, I'm 49. He's probably a little bit older than me. And I'm like, he's still just, uh, he's, I was just, I was blown away by the level of positivity. And uh, it was, it was fantastic, man. I was like, you know, here's a guy who thinks about this introspectively, like you said, and, and is able to relate that to other people to think. And I just, I thought it was fantastic, especially coming from, you know, the punkish background where a lot of people are just doing self-destructive behavior. And this guy, yep. one, and before I forget, one thing I was going to suggest, if you ever get a chance, there's a guy, uh, Flem Low Raps, who does what happened to this guy for football. You know, what happened to whatever. You might, if you ever get a chance, what happened to Dan Mahoney from uh, No For An Answer? What happened to Ray Cat? You know what I'm saying? That, that might be something that would be kind of cool to do. I, I, I'm not telling you what to do, but uh, Flemo, his best videos by far and away are like what happened to Trent Richardson from University of Alabama. It's, it's incredible. It's, I'm sure it takes a long time to do, but I've always wondered, like, what happened to some of these guys? You know, JR from Next Step Up, what's that guy? Do? I mean, it'd be obviously, you know, that's a very <laughs> low niche there in terms of the view, but it might be interesting. Um, you never know. I mean, sometimes the stuff that I think is going to do well. I, you know, eats crap. And then other times the thing that I don't think anyone's going to care about gets 300,000 views. You never know. 
That's uh, my biggest view is a video I almost did not do. So I said, did I just do something like that? And I, I did a video and right before I was going to publish, I think I said, I think I just did something wrong. Maybe I shouldn't. And I said, I ah, screw it. Let's hit publish anyway. By far and away, that's my biggest, well, not by far away, but my biggest, it's not even a great video. It's just you know, like. Yeah, you never, I, exactly. It's like the one that takes off. You're like, really? That one? <laughs> okay. <laughs> How did you end up start with your YouTube channel? Like what made you uh you know start doing it? Well, you know, my game plan basically is to be wherever attention is in the current, you know, age of media. So yeah. I started doing zines in the 90s cuz print was what people did back then. Uh, I had some blogs in the 2000s cuz that's yeah. where the action was at that time. Uh and then it became clear to me, you know, by the by 2015 or something like that, blogs were just dead, waste of time. Yep. I still kept doing them a little bit kind of just for fun. But then I just eventually realized, you know, if I really want to be where the action is, I got to get on YouTube. Um, and uh, I made videos for years. So I already knew how to do the technical part of it, which is actually the easiest part of the whole thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's really, I just decided if I want to, have attention. I need to, you know, you got to fish where the fish are, right? Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have any concern like getting on? I know a lot of people, women in particular, which is too bad, but they get, you know, they don't want to get on camera. Like my wife, she will not get on camera to save her life. And which well, is, I don't love it, um, yeah. but it's part of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> Although there's, you know, there's people that have successful, like, do you know Company Man? Have you seen that channel? I think I have. Yeah. Kind so of, he'll do a video about like Darden restaurants or something like that, um, like about Red Lobsters you know, history or something like that. Um, and yes. Has, yes. yeah, yep. I mean, they're not like fantastic, but they're, they're good for like an audience that doesn't know much about business. But anyway, he, uh, they're basically, you know, slideshows. He never shows his face. So you can do YouTube without ever sharing your face. Mm. I chose, I chose to show my face and use my real name because I want to use this as a way for people to get to know me yeah. and to build my name and reputation. I used like a fake name before when I blogged because just because I didn't want to put myself right. out there. Um, but I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go all in. Yep. And, and I do understand, especially for women, it really is harder because people are going to say much nastier things oh, and yeah. they need to worry about stalkers and stuff like that, that we Ugh. don't have to. And that, that is, a, that is a true privilege. Um, so uh, I, I understand, but for me personally, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to go all in on this thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, 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 it paid off for me and I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. And again, you know, to our conversation before it's like, well, Google spent billions and billions and billions of dollars building this platform, you know, and, uh, I'm so incredibly grateful for that. I, I wish that I could, I mean, YouTube's not perfect. Google's not perfect in lots of ways, but I, I just really wish I could find some of these people and give them a hug because yeah, they no, no, built no. this thing that's done so much for me. And and YouTube is still operating at a loss. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's still well, they don't they don't break it out, so we don't know. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's a, they they should. I I think that that's uh, uh I I think that that is a uh, a matter that their board has dropped the ball on is they don't break out uh, YouTube revenue separately from. Google. Really? All right. So it's just yeah. like, an, I don't want to say an urban legend, but that's, there's no evidence that says YouTube is literally operating at a loss. There's, there's no way to know. Really? Um, <laughs> nope. Go, go read their, go read their 10 K. It's not in there. Um, <laughs> See, there you go, man. You can't 
Just it's, like Abraham Lincoln says, if it's on the internet, it might not be true. Um, they've said certain things in the past. It was true a few years ago because they said so publicly. Uh, they've said some things recently, and if you read between the lines of some of their financial statements, it suggests that YouTube is now profitable, but nobody knows for sure outside of Google. So if, uh, if you know, zine, print, blog, and then video, um, what is, what do you, for? how long will video be uh, in ascendancy or ascended, whatever it is, you know, how, how long do you think? I, I, I think it will last forever. Um, whether it will be, you know, YouTube or not is, okay. is a question, probably not. But that said, um, people always talk about starting a YouTube competitor and it's like, dude, yeah. what, like, do you think like you are going to hit all the same structural barriers that YouTube does for one, like content moderation at scale right. is they've got 2 billion users. Content moderation at that scale is really hard. So there's a guy named Warner Vogels, who's the CTO of, uh, of AWS, Amazon Web Services. And he has a good framework for this. He says that uh, their business is governed by three laws, the laws of physics, the laws of economics, and the laws of the land. And those, so the laws of physics are like how fast does light right. travel? Right. For example, you know, so latency, network latency, stuff like that. Uh, the laws of economics, which is, you know, people respond to incentives and all yeah. that stuff yeah. and that you have to be profitable. And then the law of the land, which is all the regulatory stuff like, you know, COPPA and the DMCA and GDPR and all that kind of stuff. Anybody else jumping into that pond is going to hit this. They're yeah. going to hit the same barriers because it comes down to those three fundamental laws. Not to mention the fact that like people forget that at the heart of uh, uh, of YouTube or Instagram or these other things are massive data centers at a scale that nobody, there's metal at the end of that, you know, like the cloud is just a word for data centers. Right. Like it does, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it doesn't live in the air. Right. right. <laughs> it lives in CDNs scattered around the country. And there really are, takes electricity to operate, by the way, you know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah. So it's not a matter of just saying, we believe in creators. Right. Cool. But you still have to answer to Uncle Sam and you still have to deal with, you know, latency and, you know, building data Physics. centers. Stuff you like still that. have yeah. to have the data center. That, right. That just, uh, right. YouTube is very much bashed on YouTube. And it actually, in some ways, it drives you crazy because YouTube has been wonderful for me. It's obvious as a business person, but just to learn things. I mean, hell, I was able to change my garbage disposal the other day just watching YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, it's amazing. Like, and how many, and again, crazy. how many, how many people's lives has it changed just crazy. from the fact that they looked up how to do something on YouTube and that was the thing that unlocked some life-changing opportunity for them? Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, it's got to be millions of people. It's in a, I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I, not on top of that, I'm sitting there thinking, do you really need to, I don't know, it seems to me like some of this stuff is so over the top, like YouTube demonetize. It's like, if you remember what YouTube's business is, it's to make YouTube money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not to provide you a platform, it's to make right. them money. And they're going to make money by selling advertisers to the people who pay the money, who don't want to be associated with whatever it is. That, yes. Oh, here's like, the thing. Here's the thing. People need to understand yeah. the giant, massive, multi, 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 multi billion dollar pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which every, well, every company, but really Facebook and Google are chasing, is all those TV dollars. Yes, exactly. all the money. This brand marketing, which is people just pouring money into like TV ads that probably don't work, or at yep. least work not very well in 2020, but there's nowhere else to spend that money. 
And everyone, because like of what you just said, there's so many conditions about TV that make it the best option for these yeah. current brand advertisers. One of which is that you know that nothing that you run your ad on is going to be super bad. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, at worst it'll be South Park, but even then, like it's pretty easy to just say, don't run our ad after 10 PM. Right. Exactly. So it's very, so if you are tied or Pampers right. or whatever else, you know, where you have a, a, a family friendly brand and people don't understand that if your video shows up, that if your, if your ad shows up on some edgy video, right. you know, people out there don't understand that that's just programmatically generated. And that doesn't mean that Pampers believes in what this video says. So, and besides which, if you know, you're the, you're the CMO or, or worse, some, you know, peon marketing manager. And then the CMO comes to you and says, my son said he's <laughs> one of our ads next to such and such. What the hell are you doing with our money? Like, you know what? Never mind. I'm just going to go back to TV. Then, it is so obvious to me, family sitting there yes. thinking, you can see what's happening. You know. So at the end of the day, this is good for YouTubers because exactly, exactly. we create a system in which all those billions of yes, dollars of I brand know. marketing ah. YouTube, we all win. It's crazy. I'm sitting there thinking, we want this to happen because it yes. makes us more legitimate. Thus, there's be more. And I was, I was watching um, Tim Pool. He does videos. Yep. And, uh, and he was telling, and he was saying, I thought this was incredibly informative, or whatever the word is, uh, genius. I don't know. But he's saying he probably gets more views on his channel than CNN does. Oh, and for it, sure he does. Look at the view counts of like these news. People like, dude, you got twelve hundred views, and it's coming from like NBC News. Or in my competition, like Vanguard and Morningstar, I get yeah. more views on Vanguard and Morningstar. But I guarantee if you look at CNN ad revenues on CNN, the cable yeah. network versus Tim Pool on, or, or just YouTube, yeah. CNN is dwarfing them. It doesn't take a rocket science. Right. YouTube's like, we need that to level off. And thus, we want to make sure idiots aren't freaking ruining the platform. I don't get why people get so upset by that. It's not censorship. It's, it's business. Ah, anyway. Um, all right, so I'll let you go here in just a second. So before, just a, a music question. What was the first, when you first heard something, what kind of band or song or anything that says, oh, this is, where have you been all my life? Like I had said way early before, what was the first song or band that you heard and you're like, man, that, that's, that's calling to me. I saw Suicidal Tendencies on MTV News in 1989. Uh, they had been banned from playing in LA for five years or something because of like gang violence at their yeah, right, shows. Right, right. And this was you know, the city government or whoever decided they could play shows again. And so they had this show in the parking lot of Tower Records in LA and uh, MTV News covered it. And I happened to see it when I was 11 or 12 or whatever. And I didn't know what it was, but I was into it. And then uh, I got some like birthday money or something like that and went out and bought their, uh, their cassette uh, and the rest is history. And the rest is history, man. It's uh... yeah. And yeah, you play a little bit. You play a little guitar and drums, you said, or just guitar? Yeah, I'm not a very good drummer, but... But but are you in a band right now or anything? No, I, I'm not really interested in playing music. I, yeah. I recorded some of my own stuff a few years ago just to kind of learn how to record just for fun. Um, and, and I do enjoy it, but it's just like, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not, you know, it's just not a priority. I'm I'm uh, I'm a a big believer in opportunity cost. And so I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm always considering that to me, life is one big NPV calculation. You know, <laughs> that's how I see everything. 
Finn, you're crazy, man. I, I just, this is nuts. When you, uh, your better half, is she into the music or is she like, oh, yeah. keep that away from me? Yeah. Yeah. She, she likes all of it. Um, pretty much all the same kind of stuff as I do. Did you meet her like at a show or something like that or? Um, more or less, like kind of just through friends of friends in, okay. in the scene. Uh, all right, so what would you suggest? Unless, you know, most of my audience is not, you know, 25 year old kids yeah. with skateboards, but for folks, regardless of music, but just obviously you're doing something right. You know what I'm saying? On YouTube as an entrepreneurial uh, risk adverse entrepreneur. I mean, I see just real quick. I think that a lot of people think this Gary V entrepreneur stuff is the way to yeah. go. And I like Gary V, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, are very risk adverse. We say, okay, I'm definitely going to look not once, but twice before I leap. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you want to be a row on some bean counter spreadsheet, you know, that decides when they're, whether you have a job or not, because that's all you are. Uh, a, they don't care about you or your family or your life or anything else. You're just around a spreadsheet to them. And I sure don't like the sound of that. No, especially when you got a mortgage for sure. But any last words for the audience here? Don't hang up yet. I want to chat real quick. No, I'm just a uh, really great conversation. Thanks so much for having me on. And, and uh, you know, for anybody that uh, is wondering what the heck we're talking about, if you made it this far, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'll be happy to share this on my end because I think this is the kind of stuff that, you know, the younger version of us uh, really needed to hear. Oh, man, I, I, right on. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey everyone, it's Chris Pandolfi inviting you to check out the new season of my podcast, Inside the Musician's Brain, with new episodes airing now. Hearing it in that room, these guys playing this thing and trying to figure out how to play this song was mind-blowing. It's so inspiring to know there's so much more to it than you ever thought, and it just opened another door. But when people find faith because they need to, in terms of just filling a void to feel better without actually being better, that's when it becomes 
a crutch, much like you know, drugs and alcohol do. Man, I don't have all the time in the world here. If I want to be a professional bluegrass musician, I felt like I had to take a very like strategic approach, just trying to get rid of the barriers and, and figure out what those barriers were. The feelings still come and I have to reckon with that, but I think I have better ways of moving forward and not being stuck, which I think was the killer for me. Catch all that and so much more on the new season of Inside the Musician's Brain.